Amen. I'm so thankful to be speaking in front of you all this morning. This is such an exciting time in the life of our church. I look out and I see friends, um, people that I'm doing life in community with. And we had the bunny brunch yesterday, which was fantastic. And not only was it such a feat that we raised all of that money from our tithes and offering, it didn't come out of our church budget, but we had so many people volunteering and attending and so many people, David said this so well um, in the first service, but 260 people were hearing the gospel um, for the first time, and that many people in this church for and who knows how long. So it's such a blessing, it's such a gift um, to get to be a part of this church, and I'm so thankful to worship alongside you all. It's so often hard whenever we have such excitement to kind of hold that with the tension of the reality that everything is not always as it should be since we live in a fallen world. And so in the church calendar, of course, we have Easter coming up. The Bunny Brunch um, was an Easter event. But this season has been traditionally known as Lent. And if you're unfamiliar with Lent, um, we talked about it quite a bit last year, not so much this year. But Lent is a 40-day season of prayer and fasting, and it's a period of preparation to celebrate how we do on Easter when we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And while there are certain times, such as Advent, where it's really exciting and celebratory, um, and it's a season of rejoiceful and triumphant anticipation, where we celebrate anticipating Christ's first coming as a baby and look forward to his second coming and when he returns to take us home, Lent is commonly regarded as a time of sober observance. The Lenten season is a preparation for commemorating the death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter. Oftentimes, evangelicals here at at Embrace, we are an American Baptist church, and so Baptists would fall under that category of evangelicals. So often we think of Lent as something that only our Catholic brothers and sisters do, but that's not true, and really, um, we're really the only ones that don't celebrate Lent. Um, Catholics celebrate our our Methodist and Lutheran and Eastern Orthodox and Anglican brothers and sisters also celebrate Lent. So really, it's just us not celebrating it, and a lot of evangelicals churches have returned to celebrating Lent to connect to our historic church roots. And um, historically, this time has been to lament, um, to prepare us for the Easter resurrection. And many Christian traditions from various places around the world celebrate Lent to draw attention to the unfulfilled desires and the tension that we feel in our lives over sin and death and mortality. So if you're unfamiliar with Lent, it begins on Ash Wednesday with the remembering of our humanity, the reality of death, and the need for repentance. Churches symbolize this by putting a, a cross in ashes on your forehead. The liturgical use of ashes actually originates in the Old Testament. Um, in the book of Esther, Mordecai put on sackcloth and ashes when he heard of the decree of the king of Persia to kill all the Jews in the Persian Empire. Job, one of the Bible's foremost sufferers, Um, if you've read Job, you will know that he repented in sackcloth and ashes. Prophesying the Babylonian captivity, Daniel wrote, I turned to the Lord God pleading an earnest prayer with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. In the Middle Ages, those who were about to die were laid on the ground on top of sackcloth and ashes, and they were sprinkled with ashes. The priest would bless the dying person with holy water, saying, Remember that you are from dust, and to dust you shall return. After the sprinkling, the priest asked, Art thou content with sackcloth and ashes, in testimony of thy penance before the Lord on the day of judgment? To which the person would respond, I am content. And in all of these examples, the symbolism of mourning, mortality, death, and penance is clear in ashes. 
in the contemporary liturgy for Ash Wednesday, which is what is celebrated now among churches across the globe, ashes are made from the burned palms from Palm Sunday the year before. And that's something we don't necessarily celebrate here in this church, but palms are laid to to, um, symbolize when Jesus arrived on a donkey and palm branches were laid at his feet. When the ashes are imposed, so whenever they're placed on someone's forehead, the person administering them makes the sign of the cross and again says, remember you are from dust and to dust you shall return. When we begin this holy season of Lent in preparation for Easter, we must remember of the significance of the ashes that we received, that we mourn and do penance for our sins. An important part of walking through Lent is walking through lament. Lent is an opportunity for Christians to lament lament corporately as a body of believers. Lent is a time where we can stop resisting our negative feelings and thoughts, and it makes room for a group or a a single person to grieve what ought rightly to be grieved. When responses to suffering like despair and anguish and sorrow and rage naturally bubble to the surface as it does because we live in a fallen world, choosing lament is deciding to honestly and openly experience our sufferings and these feelings that we feel. Just as Jesus embraced anguish and the cross, lament Lent and lament reminds us that we too must go there as Jesus did and take up our cross and follow him. Lent invites us to lament together as a body of believers. For for before we celebrate and rejoice as we do in this big celebration on Easter morning when we declare that our God is alive and he has risen, we must allow and create space for our pain and our tears. And this Lenten morning, this season, leads us into the hope of Easter. During Lent, Christians use this time to abstain, for example, from meat, as our Catholic brothers and sisters do, and they abstain from meat on Friday. Historically, Christians have also abstained from celebrations and would wear dark-colored clothing as an outward symbol like ashes to to symbolize and demonstrate the grief over sin and the season of lament and sorrow. The purpose of Lent is to fully recognize our brokenness as humans, our sin, and our need for a Savior. This time period of Lent allows us to reflect and open our hearts to Jesus in a way we might not otherwise. So often we come in here on a Sunday morning and there's a triumphant first song and our God is worthy and he is holy of our praise and and worthy of celebration. Um, But I also know that we all walk in here carrying grief and different things and there's tragedy around the world. And sometimes I've been thankful to have always been in churches that are receptive to that, Um, but I have seen cases where there's been a world tragedy, and we start off the service in a very exciting way, and it's kind of like, did we not read the room? People are lamenting and hurting, and we have to acknowledge that, and here at Embrace, we acknowledge that in our services, and so lament offers us a time, or Lent offers us a time to lament corporately. Sometimes these laments are rooted in circumstances, such as um, the world is not as it should be. We think of these larger things like human trafficking and, and world hunger, these evils of the world. But then there are also smaller things that are in here, such as my circumstance is not what I want it to be, or there's something um, happening in my life. And my dad always says that the difference between major and minor surgery is that minor surgery is when it's happening to you, and major surgery is when it's happening to me. And it's similar. It's really easy to dismiss and ignore hurt and sorrow and grief and sin when it's out there, and it's much more difficult to cope with it and process it when it's in here. 
Lent, however, gives us hope in knowing that this darkness is temporary and the pain of our loss will ease. Most of us this morning are lamenting something. Many of us in this room are suffering in some way. There's chronic pain and depression and heartache and loss and sorrow and grief over so many situations and circumstances. There are people grieving, lamenting, and mourning what has been, maybe something that happened in their life that they can't move past, what is, maybe a circumstance that they're currently in, or what will be, knowing that a loved one will soon pass on. And so those are really hard and heavy things. And so for some, this, this suffering is circumstantial. Maybe what's happening to you now or what you're experiencing is something, uh, maybe a surgery or a medication or a, um, a renewed relationship or changing your circumstance might change. But for others, so we acknowledge that pain, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, it can be a constant threat in your life. It sounds so silly, but I've had a very small thing causing me a lot of problems for a long time. I have a tooth um, that I found out last year, and my dentist told me it needed to be refilled. And so as a good patient that loves dental work, I do love dental work, um, I went and got that filled. And immediately, as soon as the Novocaine wore off, I could tell that I was in pain, a pain that hadn't been there before. Months pass. I'm told that um, this pain is, it'll go away and it doesn't go away. So I'm told I need a root canal uh, by a dentist that I trusted. They did the root canal and it didn't work. And then, so I went ahead and started the process of having a crown made. And I said, no, I need, this didn't work. I need another root canal, I think. So we went back and they redid the root canal. And that didn't fix my pain. And so then last week, I went to go have the crown finally put on because they thought, well, hey, we've exhausted all of our options other than taking out the tooth. Sometimes putting a crown on will fix a tooth. And I forgot to mention that I got my wisdom teeth taken out in this whole process because they thought that might be the root of my problem. So this has been not only... um, a very expensive journey, but it's been emotionally taxing having to deal with this pain, but it's been really painful. I'm in pain every time I chew, and I have permanent nerve damage in my face, and every time someone, every time Margot brushes my face, it's like whenever your arm falls asleep and someone tries to tickle it, and it's really uncomfortable, and that's not something you would know when I'm standing up here singing. Um, you can't see that my face is hurting and that my mouth hurts, um, and that's so true of all of us, um, that we all walk in here with these heavy things, even if it's as small as a tooth, something that's so physically small, it can cause us great problems. There are people in here with knee pain and back pain and um, things that can't be seen, such as emotional and mental pain and scars. So we come here and we feel that we're expected to shed this weight that we walk in, but there's space in our worship services for lament. And there are also seasons in the life and liturgical calendar liturgical calendar of the church that invite us to intentionally sit in this space of lament and grieve with one another instead of rushing past it and trying to pretend that we're all okay when, if we're honest, we're not. I have a long passage for you, but it's from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which has been planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to embrace and a time to to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. 
a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This season of Lenting mourning is temporary. It's just 40 days. It's a little over a month. But yet it is a time to mourn and a time to seek and a time to break down and a time to heal. Even though this 40-day season is temporary, we sit in it and embrace lament because Jesus embraced pain, suffering, and mourning, and lament as well. He is our great comforter, and we look to him as our example, knowing that he himself was a man of sorrow. Luke 29, verses 30, 22, verses 39 through 45 say, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. In Isaiah, seven centuries before Jesus was ever born, it was prophesied that Jesus would be a man of suffering. We read in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whose, whom people hide their faces, he was despised and held in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears, silent. And he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life as an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. It was foretold in Isaiah that Jesus would be crushed for us, he would suffer, be pierced, afflicted, and oppressed, and endure great pain. So we know that our Savior can empathize with us in the pain, grief, lament, and sorrow that we will surely experience. Jesus' last days on this earth before he died were characterized by this same pain, suffering, and heartbreak as we read in Luke. Jesus had just been betrayed by his friend Judas, had been sold for 10 pieces of silver. And the passage that comes right after this passage that we read in Luke is where Peter denies Jesus three times. So we know that he understands what it feels like to be betrayed by all those close to him. And then in the next chapter in 23, we read of Jesus' actual crucifixion, during which he continued to endure rejection and betrayal alongside the pain that he experienced leading up to his crucifixion and then dying a painful death on the cross for us. 
Lent mirrors the 40 days that Jesus spent, where he spent it in the desert praying and fasting leading up to this time period. And the climax of this time period is from that passage that we read in Luke where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, let this cup pass and prayed to the point of blood. Luke, who is the author of the Gospel of Luke, wrote this account, and Luke was a physician. And while some consider Luke's description of these teardrops being blood to be a simile, and that Jesus was praying so earnestly that these teardrops were heavy because blood is thick and it's heavy, um, because Luke is a physician, it's reasonable and right to believe that he is actually witnessing a medical condition called hematridosis. I said that so bad in the first service and hoped I would redeem myself, but I have This is a really rare medical condition that causes one to actually sweat blood. The sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels that constrict and then dilate. And when they rupture, the blood actually seeps out into sweat. The cause of this hematidrosis is extreme anguish. So Jesus was actually experiencing this. In the other gospel accounts, we see the same level of Jesus' anguish. In Matthew 26, 38, it says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Those are Jesus' own words. The intense anguish and sorrow Jesus felt was certainly understandable. Being God, John 18, 4 says that Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him. And it even said that in the latter half of Isaiah. Jesus knew the pain, in painstaking detail what there was to follow after his betrayal by one of his very own disciples. He knew he was about to undergo several trials where all of the witnesses against him would lie and pretend that they didn't know him. He knew that the many who had hailed him as king and messiah just days before would now be screaming for his arrest and ultimately his crucifixion. He knew he would be flogged nearly to the point of death before they pounded metal spikes in his flesh. He knew the prophetic words of Isaiah spoken seven centuries earlier that he would be beaten so badly he would be beaten beyond the recognition of man. Certainly these things factored into his deep anguish and sorrow, causing him to sweat these real drops of blood. Yet still, crucifixion was considered to be one of the most painful uh, methods of execution ever devised, and only the the despised and most heinous criminals were were, um, crucified. In fact, our word excruciating, that we word actually literally means from the cross. Scripture only records one time where Jesus cried out in a loud voice, which is in Matthew 27, 46 in this time. As our sinless Savior bore the weight of the world's sins on his shoulders, his Father must have looked away because Jesus, or God, cannot look on sin. His eyes are too pure to look on evil, as it says in Habakkuk causing the suffering servant, our Savior, to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our God, our Jesus, felt abandoned and forsaken. The spiritual pain of the abandonment no doubt greatly exceeded the physical pain that the Lord endured on our behalf. Jesus knew the end. He knew that he would be resurrected three days after his death and that he would sit at the right hand of God. He knew God's will and God's plan for his life. Yet the physical pain he knew he would endure alongside the emotional pain of abandonment and feeling forsaken, betrayal and loss even outweighed it. He knew all of these things, yet he still grieved and experienced deep pain and sorrow. So often we, we think that if we say to ourselves in whatever circumstance we're in that 
oh, God will use this for his glory, that that means we have to rush past the pain that we are experiencing. And we can hold the tension and the, and the truth that God is good in all things while still understanding this is my circumstance and it's hard and it's painful. In the same way, when we experience pain and suffering, we share in Jesus' experience of recognizing God's sovereignty and provision while still mourning what has been, what is, and what will be. We can recognize that God is working all things together for those that love him and that our pain is a part of his plan, yet that doesn't make our pain pass and that doesn't always mean that it makes sense. So often as Christians, we Jesus juke ourselves into thinking that because we know in our minds and our hearts that God is inherently good and sovereign in all things, that we must move quickly past our pain and be okay. And that to sit um, in our pain is to deny God's goodness and provision over our lives. I think that we think that to fully and intentionally embrace pain and lament sin and circumstance and mortality is to reject that God is working all things together. But that's not true. Both can be true that we are in pain, but that God is good. And we look to Jesus as our example. Jesus himself was even more so aware of God's sovereignty than we could ever be. Yes, he was fully man, so all this pain that he experienced, both physically and emotionally, was something that he experienced fully man so that he could understand what our pain and suffering is like, but he was also fully God. And so because he was fully God, he knew God's plan and God's will for his life. Yet part of his earthly experience was characterized by suffering, sorrow, and pain. Jesus lived in God's will, yet still grieved for his circumstance and for the sins of the world and felt sorrow for it. And again, he prayed, God, let this cup pass from me. He knew it was to happen, and still he said, God, this is really hard. Please let this cup pass. And we can pay, pray the same prayer. We have a Savior who knows our pain and invites us to cast our burdens on him. As Matthew says, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Jesus knew that there was a season for everything. He would have been very well aware of the Old Testament and would have studied it as a Jew. So he knew these words in Ecclesiastes. He knew that there was a time to lament and embraced it as we should too during Lent. This morning, if you've walked in this room with heartache, pain, sorrow, frustration, anger, depression, or some sort of physical pain that bothers you, know that you don't have to rush past these feelings. They're really heavy and hard. Jesus didn't rest past these feelings, and neither should we. And as brothers and sisters in Christ in this season, we pray for one another. Even in this season, where we welcome lament, it is important to remember that Lent takes us on a series of passages. I'm not sure if you're familiar with St. Meinrad. It is um, one of two Catholic arch abbeys in America, and it's just a short drive from here. It's about 45 minutes. Um, it's in Spencer County, where Andrew and I live. And the monks are a casket makers, because so often um, cloistered nuns and monks have to make income somehow to support the facility. And so they make caskets. And so these are people that are well acquainted with grief and loss and sorrow from losing a loved one. And I kind of borrowed this from them because they talk about how they're, in the same way that there are stages to grief, there are stages to Lent that are helpful in thinking of Easter. Just like the stages of grief, Lent involves a series of passages from darkness to light, from loss to gain, fear to trust, sorrow to joy, but ultimately death to life, which is mirrored by Jesus' death and then his resurrection. 
Though we may start the season in ashes and darkness, it will be completed by our rising to new life. Lent is such a temporary season. And so it was funny. I was talking to my sister on the way here and telling her about um, the sermon that I'm preaching. And she said, yeah, isn't life sometimes, you know, like a Lent is this temporary season of pain. And then our Easter is whenever we, we're reunited with Jesus in heaven. And I love that. So this reminds us that our, our pain, even though it's real and it's hard and it's heavy and it's sometimes debilitating, it will ultimately pass. So it is a good time to set our sights on Good Friday. On the day when God experienced the gut-wrenching reality of death, when God himself suffered for us as much as he possibly could. And it's a good time to feel the pain of separation and to feel the sadness and anger of loss. That's why so many people choose not to use social media or choose to abstain from something, is to feel that same um, separation and loss um, that we experienced during lament and that Jesus experienced first for us. It's also a good time to look to the boundary that God offers to those who grieve. The boundary lines of the resurrection of our celebration on Easter morning. Grief will not end, even though this 40-day season of Lent will end. Um, The lament that a lot of us feel will not end. A lot of us are suffering. So grief will not end on this side of heaven. But Easter gives us a reason to hold on to the hope in the midst of the lament that we feel And so in this season, we look forward to the resurrection, but we also understand that sometimes it's best just to sit and lament as Jesus did. Dear God, we are so thankful that you sent your son to die for us, to save our sins, but also to be fully man and fully God so that he could understand the pain that we feel. We have a Savior who empathizes with us and sympathizes with us and has felt first all of these feelings that we feel in this room this morning, from the physical pain that we endure to the mental pain that we endure to the emotional pain that we endure. He was broken and beaten for us. And so we're so thankful that we have a God that understands us. And we're thankful for this season and this church calendar so that we can sit in these feelings as we lead up to Easter so that the joy and the celebration of Easter is so much more impactful. You can't experience joy without sorrow. So we're so thankful for the sorrow, I mean, for the joy that you bring us, but also that you give us space to be with one another corporately, pray for one another, and earnestly pray over our sins, or pray, um, earnestly pray as we mourn our sins, just as Jesus did. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.